0: Now that the pump is prime, you'd be surprised how effective that is in getting me off on the right foot. Thank you. This is the earliest written account of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's our lesson of today. It was written by St. Mark and it is the earliest of all the accounts of the life and teachings of christ there are four gospels they are biographies the life and teachings of jesus and the first three matthew mark and luke are repetitive in what they say they are much alike and contain the materials swapping back and forth into each of the Gospels. The fourth Gospel is entirely different, written by John. But Mark wrote the earliest of all the Gospels in the New Testament. Wrote it about the year 65. It was written just after the death of Peter and just before the destruction of Jerusalem and the destruction of the Temple. It is an important book, vitally important, apart from the other written accounts of Jesus, in that it is the one written nearest to the time in which the events took place. The Gospel of John was written around 100 B.C. So there was about 35 or 40 years between the writing of Mark and the writing of John. The writing of Mark telling these events are by and large the memoirs of Peter. Papias, one of the early church fathers in the second century, stated that the book of Mark was no more than just the combined sermons of Peter as recorded by Mark. And that gives them an authenticity that makes it very special because Peter was the prime disciple. To see the life and teachings of Christ through the eyes of Peter is to have an opportunity that does not come at any other place in the New Testament. Not only was the memories of Peter and the fact that it was the earliest of all the accounts Mark seemed to sense something about Jesus that he expressed very clearly in the telling of the story. He wanted everybody to know that Jesus was divine. And so the book is heavy with the miracles of Jesus and the other experiences of Jesus that could be accounted for only by one who is divine. But at the same time, he was aware of the Humanity of Jesus. Matthew and Luke referred repeatedly to Jesus as the son of a carpenter. It was almost as though they were loath to hang on Jesus the appearance of mortality, that he would be a common working person. Mark spoke of Jesus as the carpenter of Nazareth. He framed him within the human form of a working man, which brought into the person of Jesus the two extremes that made him who he was, the divinity and the humanity of Jesus. The other factor that comes into play in the book of Mark is the simplicity of his writing. He doesn't adorn it. He doesn't expand upon the facts. He simply wants to state matter-of-factly the events that he is wanting to share. And so with these attributes that are common to the book of Mark and absent in the others makes whatever Mark says a very special revelation. And when it comes to the resurrection of our Lord, it is especially telling Because if these are the memories of Peter, look how Peter played a part in this story, more so than any of the other writers or any of the other disciples. This is how Mark tells the story of the resurrection. (coughs) Jesus was nailed to the cross on Friday at 9 o'clock in the morning. For six hours, he spent dying upon that cross with the agony the emotion the pain all of these things incorporated in that grief period of time at noon ark says the world became dark almost as if god was hiding his place or whether he was shielding that event from The observation of anyone who would look upon it, so tragic it was. And then Mark said at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, it was as though all of the sins of the world suddenly became a reality to Jesus. We talk about Jesus suffering for our sins upon the cross. Jesus was without sin. He was not a sinner dying until the moment that if in truth all of the sins of humanity were placed upon him to be forgiven, you can only imagine the agony of one who was so perfect feeling the intensity of the result of sin. And in that moment he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? More than he could bear. And yet that was a part of his dying. That was a part of the price that he was paying, according to Mark. When Peter denied Jesus as he was in the courtyard of the high priest, he heard the cock crow, realized what he had done, and he went. With those words, Mark leaves the story of the disciples altogether. No mention is made of any of the characters of the disciples from that moment throughout the crucifixion itself. They were in hiding, fearful for themselves. They didn't want to be seen. The other writers mention the fact that John was there. Mark makes no mention of that. He simply speaks of the women who were present he says that many of the women came from galilee to jerusalem to be with jesus during this time and he singles out three mary of magdala mary the mother of james the less as opposed to james the brother of john and salome these three he met in particular and for a reason after Jesus died at three o'clock in the afternoon, a figure appears for the first time in the Gospel story. A man by the name of Joseph from Arimathea. He is a member of the Sanhedrin. And when Jesus dies, there's nobody there to claim his body. The disciples weren't there. His family, apart from his mother, was not there what a terrible thing it would be to leave that body on the cross because at dusk on Friday the Sabbath would begin and no labor could be performed on the Sabbath the body could not be removed from the cross for a full 24 hour period and in that time the corpse would begin its decay in the hot sun many who were crucified being criminals as all were Many were left upon the cross for days (coughs) and then taken from the cross, thrown upon the ground. The wild animals and the buzzards took care of the flesh and the skeletons were left lying upon the ground, giving rise to the fact, many scholars say, to Golgotha being called the place of the skull. This would have been what would happen to Jesus if it had not been for one man named Joseph. Mustering up the courage that it must have taken to do, he went to Pontius Pilate and he said, I want you to turn the body of Jesus over to me. Asking for the body took great courage because he had, was a condemned criminal in the eyes of all who were a part of the scene, particularly Pontius Pilate who had allowed it to take place to identify himself with a criminal who had just been crucified was a great risk he took that risk and pilate said how can he possibly be dead many times it takes days before a body dies completely are you sure that he is completely dead not wanting to run the risk but the body be taken from the cross and death had not fully come, just the dying, it could be resuscitated, and the cross would be cheated its victim. And so Pilate said, first, let me send the centurion to bring back the fact that he is truly dead. And the centurion came back and assured Pilate that Jesus was indeed dead. And Pilate said, I can't believe that he would die in such a short period of time. But with the assurance that he was dead, he gave Joseph the right to claim the body. Joseph and Mark said specifically, Joseph bought rich linen. He didn't just get a linen, a piece of cloth. He got the finest that he could find. He got rich linen and brought it, took Jesus off the cross and took the linen and wrapped the body in the linen and carried it to a tomb, not told by Mark but by told by other writers that it was his own tomb, hewn out in stone, and he took the body and placed it inside on the shelf that was prepared there. In those times there were shelves within the tombs, The body would be laid upon the shelf, prepared for burial, and left. And then, over a period of time, the body would decay and return to dust. And then they would go into the tomb and remove that body and make place for another to be placed in its stead. So it was that kind of tomb in which Jesus had been placed. He had been placed to take his place among the dead. The three women that Mark mentioned Mary of Magdala, Mary, the mother of James the Less, and Salome, observed what was taking place. They couldn't do it themselves. They didn't have the strength to do it. They were fearful, and so it being done, they watched to see that it was done properly. They did take note of the fact that he was just simply wrapped in this linen shroud, and that there was no anointing of the body to prepare it for burial. So they said among themselves, take note of where the body is. After the Sabbath, we'll come back and properly anoint the body for its burial. It was a matter of anointing the body with spices. It was not a matter of preserving the body as they did in Egypt. In Egypt, they embalmed the bodies to preserve the bodies. This was not what the women were doing. It was no attempt to preserve the body. It was to pay homage to the body with expensive spices. The body would decay normally as with other bodies. But they wanted to pay respect to Jesus, give him a proper burial. So they noted that after Joseph placed Jesus in the tomb, he rolled the stone in front of the opening, as was customarily done, And then they returned to be with the other disciples to spend the Sabbath day. After the Sabbath was passed, these three women left the company of the men, and they went and bought spices, which were expensive, and took them to the tomb, ready to prepare Jesus for an eternal rest. It was not in the mind of the three women. It was not in the mind of Joseph of Arimathea. It was not in the mind of any of the disciples that Jesus would not be there permanently in that seal too. They went to prepare him for an eternal rest. And as they went, they began to question among themselves. We saw what a large stone it was. Who can we get to roll away that stone? Mark makes no mention of the stone being sealed. Mark makes no mention of guards planted there to be sure that the body was not stolen. According to Mark, the three women came, wondering how they would remove the stone to get inside. And they came, and to their amazement, not to their expectation, but to their amazement, the stone had been rolled away. When Peter and John came, according to one of the other writers, John got to the door and stopped. He wouldn't go in. The three women went in immediately. And to their surprise, there was nobody. But a young man dressed in a white robe sitting to the right. And he said, You have come seeking Jesus of Nazareth. He is not here. He is risen. Go tell Peter and the disciples that he will meet them in Galilee. And the women were frightened, as anyone would be encountering an angel, experiencing a resurrection. They were frightened and they rushed out of the tomb and there the story ends according to Mark. Abruptly, the Gospel of Mark ends with the women fleeing in fear. There is an addition to the book that was written before the 2nd century that did not appear in any of the writings of the Gospel of Mark prior to the 2nd century. Biblical scholars who know how to interpret scripture by authorship and time all are in agreement that the two endings were placed there by others wanting to have a more complete ending to the story. But as far as Mark was concerned, the story ends there. And look on what note it ends. The angel says, go tell Peter. Mark is the only one who tells us that the angel wanted the message to be taken to Peter. And that, in the memory of Peter, was so much a part of the story. Why wouldn't he remember the fact that the angel had said, come and tell Peter? Because of the last time we have met Peter, he's on his knees weeping bitterly because he has denied the one who loved him so much. Now, the resurrection, as told by Mark, reveals certain things about Jesus. One, the fact, the fact of the resurrection says that Jesus was not just a literary character, but that he was a real person. Many of the Greek and Latin stories of persons beyond the form of humanity, gods, strong men, strong women, are figments of the imagination dreamed up to fill a need. It could have been that way with Jesus if he had not come out of the tomb. If he had remained in the tomb, it might have ended up just the story of a man who made an imprint upon society for a moment and then the story was over. Because of the resurrection, he did not find his place in history as a literary figure written by someone and a real person. And from the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus did not become a memory, but he became a present reality. He would have remained in the minds of those who knew it as one to be remembered, but gone. For those who read the story, it would be the memory of a man that gone. But because of the resurrection, he was not a memory, he was a present reality. He is one to be experienced in the present moment and not in some time past in the experience of somebody else. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, he became a present reality, not committed to 2,000 years ago, but alive in the very moment of our speaking. And because of the resurrection of Jesus, we make the discovery that Jesus is not to be known, not to be known about. Jesus is to be <coughs> experienced. Many can know about Jesus. And persons who know about Christianity, who are committed to other religions, know Jesus as a historical person. They know his teachings, they know his personalities. But that's not what the resurrection brings about. The resurrection brings about an encounter with Jesus. (coughs) You ask how I know he lives? He lives within my heart. The resurrection made clear that Jesus (coughs) is alive in the present moment. And the resurrection of Jesus says... That he who performed great miracles during the 30 years of his living performs miracles still. Jesus did not quit his interest, concern, and love for humanity at the time of his dying, but from the place to which he has gone, he is involved in the lives of us all, ready, capable of performing equal miracles. The miracles that were performed during his lifetime. These are those certainties that come from the fact that the tomb was empty as revealed by Mark. Now, I told you that Mark's gospel ends with verse 8, abruptly. But there are about 20 other verses that have been added. You find them in the King James Version of the Bible. And in the King James Version of the Bible, they are included as though they're a part of his writing. In the later editions of the Bible, there's a footnote that says this is not a part of the original writing. And there's a reason for that. When the King James Bible was translated, it was a translation of another edition. An edition that was done by Erasmus in the year 1516. Erasmus used... The materials that had been written in the 10th century. He did not have access to the earliest writings that date back to the first century. And that which appeared in the 10th century had the addition appended to it. So therefore, he translated it into the Bible, in turn being translated into the King James Version. But only the King James Version will show this as a part of the original manuscript the Revised Standard Version, the New English Bible, the Living Bible, all of the other Bibles of later times have come to realize that this is an addendum, and they recognize it as such. But the truth that is in those verses are reflected in other writings and are not alien at all to the Christian message. In this addendum, the women run as verse eight as they did, telling nobody, fearful. <clears throat> Mary, unwilling to leave because of his her love for Jesus, lingered in the garden, and as a result, Jesus appeared to her. And she knew that it was true that he had risen from the dead. And he said to Mary, you go tell the disciples what you have seen what we have said and that I will meet them in Galilee (laughs) later that day according to the addendum to Mark Jesus is on the road to Emmaus and two of the disciples are walking along the road and he reveals himself to them now Mary goes back to the disciples and she tells them I have seen him he's alive he has risen and nobody believed her they wouldn't take one word that she had said as fact. Then here come two disciples and they said, what Mary said is right because we were walking along the road with him. But they wouldn't believe it. Still, none of the disciples would believe in the resurrection, in spite of the fact, <clears throat> in spite of the fact that they had these two face-to-face encounters. So there was a third appearance in this addendum. Jesus appeared to the eleven while they were sitting and eating. Then they believed. It was here, as they said at meat, that the Great Commission comes about. Unlike the other accounts where it is on the Mount of Olives, Jesus says to his disciples, The church is to do three things. You are the church. The church will be built upon your shoulders. And through the centuries to come, the church will do three things. It will preach the good news. That's what Jesus put as the priority. Preaching, telling the good news. Number two, they are to heal. We talked about three weeks ago about the difference between healing and being cured. Healing comes every time we ask for it, but the healing comes at the place of healing that is spiritual and psychological. Sometimes the healing comes where it's physical. When that happens, there's a cure, but there's always healing where healing is needed, spiritual conditions, psychological conditions. And then he said, be the repository of power Power that was in Christ is in the world, in His church, and I'm afraid that we deny that power today as we look to other sources of strength and direction and energy to do the will of the church, where the power is there, promised by Christ after His resurrection, as He stood before the men as they ate, and then. After these three admonitions, Jesus ascends <coughs> to heaven. The book of Mark comes to a close. Are there any comments or questions on the resurrection as told by Mark? 40 days. How much, the, the remaining verses, how much later do the, the scholars feel that they were written? Within the first century. After the second century, then the letters of the Mark reflect that. And, and there are two. One is <coughs> Van and the other is Van So there are three endings. And the silence is deep. <laughs> Can you talk more about taking on the sins of the Lord? Well, this is an expression of theology, giving credence to the fact that the death of Jesus, in reality, atoned for all the sins of us all, so that we do not have to answer to the sins that we have committed when we accept Christ. Through grace, we find justification or as we had said earlier justification meaning it's as though it didn't happen one forgiven it was a race all the sins <laughs> of the world thats only Jesus could we cannot atone for our sins Jesus could so the terminology of theologians has said he took the sins of the world upon him so that by implication one by one each sin was forgiven in him so, the, all we have to do is to accept <coughs> His forgiveness because the atonement has been done. Vance, what about repentance? I've heard from, maybe not Methodist sources, but uh, many sources that you first have the repentance. You do. <coughs> if you commit a sin, and you say, well, I'm going to get away with it. I'm going to let Jesus die for me so that I don't have to face up with this sin. And then go on out and do it again and again and again because it's been forgiven. Then, then if you fail to repent, are those, is that sin? or those sins not forgiven? If you repent, you're saying, I'm sorry. I accept your forgiveness. But you can't accept forgiveness if you don't repent. If you, if you go stay a sinner, I'll be forgiven. Like the fellow I told about a few weeks ago when when Tetzel was selling indulgences. He says, uh, can you give me an indulgence to cover any sins that I might sin after this? And he said, yes. And he said, what will it cost me? A thousand dollars. He gave him a thousand dollars, got the indulgence, and then stole a the thousand back. And so... You don't skew your thousand back if you have really been forgiven. Repentance is necessary. If you do not repent, then you cannot accept grace because it says, I'm sorry, and I want to do better. And that's what Jesus expects of us. John the Baptist, repent and be baptized. Jesus, repent and believe. Always repent comes before forgiveness. For those people that believe that uh, King James Version is the only version, do they believe that Mark wrote the additional Well, I don't want to offend <laughs> anybody who believes that King James Version is the Bible the way Jesus wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> and that, was, that statement was made many times when the Revised Standard Version came out. And in North Carolina, they burned every revised standard version they could find because it was the devil's book, and then it was the communist book because it differed from the King James Version. All of your modern translations are more accurate than the King James because they go back to original sources. King James is nothing but a translation of the previous source. And the previous sources, for instance, had no access to the Dead Sea Scrolls. <clears throat> many manuscripts have come to the fore in later times that have illuminated the scriptures and has made them more authentic earlier manuscripts that they had at the time that the translations leading up to king james now jerome who wrote the catholic bible had access to the fact that it was a book without an ending Some say he died before he could finish it. Others say he meant for it to end there. Others say it became lost. It was written and became lost. But anyway, um, Jerome had access to the fact that it had no ending. It was incorporated in the Catholic Bible in that way. The Protestant Bible coming through many translations were of one translation
1: of another, of a previous
0: translation. And uh, contained the errors that were in the original. I love the King James. King James has created some problems for us. In the 70s when we were in Kingsford, our five, six-year-old daughter went to another church in our neighborhood Bible school. She took a revised standard version with her. She came home broken hearted, she said, The teacher told me to bring the Holy Bible (laughs) (laughs) along. (laughs) You know, that's why you, (laughs) as Max Stokes was saying in seminary, gentlemen, you've got to use your minds. You can't just live on emotion in religion. You've got to use your minds. It's related now there are more women in seminary than men. (laughs) Thank you, Vance. Welcome again to our visitors. Uh, We'd like to have your name and address and phone number if you would give it to us, please. Uh, Come again soon. And uh, have a good week. We'll see you next week.